Let's just pray. Lord, this is a difficult chapter. Not difficult to understand, but difficult to hear. Lord, help us to to hear it. Help us to to accept your word. Help us to see the hope that is within it. And Lord, speak to us now that we may hear you. Open our ears, open our hearts. Lord, we pray your blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. The eternal gospel and the harvest of the earth. Those are the topics of Revelation chapter 14. Have you ever thought, what is the world coming to? When will all the suffering end? When will all the evil that is in the world end? We tend to see good and evil in the world and we wonder, is it a battle and which will prevail? Who will win in the end? A popular view is to see that good and evil are in a battle and that we have to wait to see who's going to win. There's so many ways in which good and evil are at war against each other in society, in, um, between communities, within communities, within homes, within ourselves even. We struggle with the old sinful nature. If we're a believer, if we've trusted in Jesus, we're not instantly glorified, we're not instantly transformed into the, the perfection that we will be one day. We struggle with the war within the old sinful nature and the new nature in the Holy Spirit. Which will overcome? Well, thankfully, it's not a case of seeing who will actually win and wait. We know who will win. We know who has overcome. Christ has overcome. He who is within us is more powerful than the devil who's in the world. We have overcome sin in Christ. He is overcome by his obedience, by his bloodshed on the cross. God has already won the battle. We don't need to worry. In fact, he has always been in control. He, he has always known the outcome. He has... It's not a case of wait and see. Before even the world was created, God had planned the, the plan of redemption, the covenant of redemption, as theologians call it. Before even the first sin had been committed, God had salvation in place. He knew he would overcome. And we have victory in Christ. Victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the the enemy victory over the devil by the blood of the Lamb slain for our sins by the blood of Jesus on the cross and yet sometimes that big picture that cosmic scale of, of victory doesn't translate to what we see in everyday life people sometimes seem to lose hope because they don't see justice in the courts the way it ought to be done here and now and they sometimes despair of ever seeing justice. 
They don't see that there's an end coming when there will be justice one day. And although the punishment never fits the crime here on earth, uh, the judgments of courts here are only a reflection of God's pure and perfect and severe punishment for sin. Sin is far worse than we realize. Sin is far worse than the sentences that we often see given might imply. Before God, sin is so great, we have really no idea. We have no idea how holy he is, how perfect, how pure and spotless he is. And because we're just looking at each other and we gauge how we're, we're, we're better than some, we think we're okay. But compared to Christ, compared to the holiness of God, none of us is righteous. We're far worse than we think we are. At its best, justice here is a pale reflection of God's eternal justice. But God's eternal justice is not that far away. It's coming. There are many people we know locally and both communities who are struggling with not having seen justice for what has happened through the Troubles, either from terrorists or those belonging to the state. There's been an awful lot done on all sides. No side can really take the moral high ground at this stage. But yet when investigations are hampered or cancelled... And it looks like there won't be a possibility of justice you know, with amnesty not allowing people to go back. What are people to do? Where are they to get justice? Well, there is a day coming when perfect justice will be given. Even if we don't get justice here and now, if we trust in God, we can, we can rely on him to give that perfect justice. We might be angry at the things that people have done to us, done to others, done in so many different ways. We might have a righteous anger, but above all, God has a far more righteous anger than we have. And he will come to judge, put all things right. That can give us peace of mind on the one hand. That allows us to even if we, and it's good to search for and seek and campaign for justice here on earth, but even if we're not able to get that, we can have peace of mind that we will have justice one day in God's eternal court. And we can let it go, we can forgive at a personal level. We ought not to let things go at a society level. The law must take its course. We can't throw justice out the window but we can forgive at a personal level and leave it to God. We can move on. We can remember the past but not be eaten up by constantly looking for justice here and now because we know we will have justice there and then. Problem is, God's justice will bring all wrongs into court and it's not only those who have done Severe things who will be up before God. We'll all be up before him. We all have to give an account. God's justice will be perfect and fair.
If someone has wronged us, we can leave it to God for justice. If we have been, if we have wronged others, we can seek forgiveness from Him. But knowing the, the, the large scale timing of God's plan for humanity for the earth, that there is a day coming, gives us assurance that He will right all wrongs. Justice is important, but sometimes we have to leave things in God's hand to resolve for our own peace of mind. After all, people have not sinned against us. They've sinned against him, most of all. He wrote the Ten Commandments, not us. They've done their sin against him towards us, but most of all, they've sinned against him. So he will judge. We can leave things to him. We could learn an awful lot from from others who have had to leave things to God's justice, who have had no choice in the past. In the United States, in the deep south, African-American slaves had to trust in God's justice because they weren't going to get it on earth in the white courts. Alongside the themes of trust in God, hope, mercy and deliverance to come and so much more, the theme of the judgment they featured in the Negro spirituals, their worship songs. They couldn't get justice on earth so they looked for justice in heaven and they were able to have joy peace despite their problems and despite the lack of justice they had on earth one song the chorus from one song judgment day features this judgment 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 day is rolling around judgment judgment oh how long to go the whole idea of God coming back again is not just for our deliverance but also for our justice and the theme of mercy and grace the theme of his love for us the theme of him bringing in a new kingdom where there will be no more suffering or trials or pain any longer is one that we can look forward to And those who struggle with having less justice on earth seem to be those who have a greater sense, a greater vision, a greater longing for the justice, for the the new world to come. In an essay on Negro spirituals, one writer says that, he explains that, Because the black slave was confident that God's end times liberation would be fully revealed in Jesus' second coming, he could sing songs of joy and happiness while living in bondage. Thus, not only did the slaves believe in life after death, they also believed in judgment day. This theological and end times viewpoint of a subjugated people who live in absolute hopelessness is remarkable as well as commendable. Another writer comments that after mourning the loss of all that enables one to survive, they were able to sing of a joy that contradicted their sorrow. As believers, we we could learn a lot from them. We have a hope for the future. We know there will be many things that happen on that day. We will be released from the, the last remnant of sin we will see God's judgment and we will be entering into 
that glory that is prepared for all who accept God's gift of forgiveness and salvation through faith in Christ. Seeing the whole scope of human history in the light of that day to come is not only the big picture that helps us cope with the problems we have here and now. It provides the storyline to the history of the world. It's a call to trust in Jesus and to persevere in Jesus, not only for blessing here and now, but for eternal and unlimited blessing there and then. And that theme of looking forward to the Justice Day is the theme of Revelation chapter 14. Calling on people to trust in the Lord, the eternal gospel that calls people to trust in the Lord to be saved from the eternal judgment on that day of harvest. Let's, there are four points that I'd like us to consider, not all of equal length, and I'm not going to look at them in the order they come in the chapter, but let's look firstly at the fact that there is a harvest day to come. The judgment day is frequently compared to day of harvest in the Bible. Revelation 14 verse 15 says it. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. That theme of harvest is throughout the Bible. John the Baptist said of Jesus, He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Jesus himself in a parable about there being weeds amongst the wheat, about there being unbelievers in amongst believers in the church, in the visible church. Not Not that there will be unbelievers in heaven, but there will be people who look like believers but who won't be there on that day. He says, Matthew says, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds amongst the wheat, then slipped away. But the crop began to grow and produce grain. The weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. The world as we know it is compared to plants growing in a field. And there are two significant things about a harvest. First, it takes time to grow the plants. The whole time the plant is growing in the field, it makes progress from first being a seed that then germinates and then after a while 
green shoots appear above the ground. They grow a little bit taller and then taller still. And the weeds just grow taller and taller, but the wheat ends up having the little wheat grains start to appear at the end. As they grow and as they ripen, eventually, over time, it is time for the harvest. Day after day, night after night, sun follows by rain, the wheat matures, and eventually the farmer decides that the time has come, the time for the harvest. Out comes a sickle, or today we would say the combine harvester, and the wheat and the weeds are all harvested. The second thing that happens about harvesting is the winnowing, where the wheat is separated from the weeds and where the the, the stems and the leaves and the, the chaff are separated from the grain of the wheat. The wheat is crushed um, so that the chaff and the, the wheat actually comes off of the stems. And an ancient way of separating the, the wheat grains from the, the chaff and the stems and the weeds was on a windy day to throw it up in the air and the very light weeds and chaff would just blow away while the wheat would come down. Then the weeds and the chaff would be gathered up and burned. And But the, the, the grains of wheat would be taken into the barn and stored for their precious. And harvesting is therefore comparable to the judgment day where winnowing is comparable to the judgment of God and the burning or the storing up in the barn is compared to the the punishment or the blessing for eternity of unbelievers who refuse to follow Christ compared to believers who have trusted in him. The picture here in Revelation 14 of a harvest for the world is that just like when wheat grows in the field until it is ready to be harvested, so to this world is ripening for harvest. We're not there yet. We're not actually quite sure how far away we are from that, but we're certainly getting closer each day, each year. We might be very close. Who knows? Only the Lord knows. But we will know one thing for certain. For we, m- we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Being judged according to our works is a way of separating out those who have walked in the Spirit, produced the fruit of the Spirit, compared to those who have walked in the sinful nature. It is not that our works save us. They're simply evidence that we have already been made righteous through faith in Christ. The second thing about Revelation 14 is not only that there will be a harvesting, but there will be condemnation to come. 
These are difficult points to talk about. But they are in God's word and God gives them as a warning to us in his grace and his mercy towards us so that we know what is ahead. In many aspects in life, if you're driving along the road, you see warnings to alert you to danger so that you're prepared, so that you're not overtaken by that danger, so that you're not injured. And God's warnings are there for our good. The second section in Revelation that we're looking at today begins at verse 17. There, a different image of harvest is revealed, one which applies only to those who are unbelievers. The image of the grape harvest. The grape harvest is characterized by all the red grapes being crushed and the red juice flowing from them to make red wine. And the imagery is of blood being spilled, of death, of punishment for sin. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress into a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. On that day, every outstanding sin will be judged and everyone who's not a follower of Christ will sadly end up being punished for their sin. All sin needs to be punished, whether personally on that day or punished on the cross. If we trust in Jesus, our sin has already been punished. He has taken the punishment on the cross. But if we don't trust in him, we need to take the punishment ourselves. The gospel is such good news that Yes, there is a judgment day to come, but the good news is that we can have forgiveness of sin if we place our faith in Christ. The third point in Revelation 14 here is that there is an eternal gospel. We don't need to face the judgment day with fear. We can face it with joy, just like the Negro spirituals did. They can look forward to that judgment day and bringing it on because it's a day when they go to be with the Lord in Revelation chapter 14 we have the gospel here described as the eternal good news the eternal gospel Paul says that we know enough about sin when we point it out in other people's lives everybody knows how to point the finger at other people Everybody is able to spot sin. If we can see it in other people's lives, we have shown that we are able to identify sin. But we're not so quick to point it out in our own lives. Paul writes, Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. People ask, why isn't God doing something about evil in the world? He is. He's been patient 
and kind and wanting people to turn to him. He doesn't want to judge people. He wants all people to come to be saved through faith in Jesus. He's been patient with us. Are we testing his patience? God is patient, but his patience is not infinite. There is a day when his patience will stop. Either on that judgment day or sometimes in our own lives when the call and the draw of God will, if we keep saying no to him and no and no over and over, he'll say, okay, you've made your choice. I'm not going to draw you anymore. And he leaves us to what we've chosen. God is patient, but not forever patient. We must not presume his kindness and patience. In Revelation 14, verse 6, And I saw another angel flying through the sky, carrying the eternal good news to proclaim to the people who belong to this world, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. I love that description of the gospel, the eternal gospel, the eternal good news. And again, it's, it's here to everyone, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. God does not discriminate between the rich and the poor, the, the first world and the developing world. He doesn't discriminate between different races, between different sexes. He doesn't discriminate on any grounds. He offers the gospel to everyone. Some people might wonder, well, why haven't some countries heard it yet? Well, the gospel has gone out into the whole world and some countries have rejected Some people have rejected it in the past and that's why their their children, their grandchildren don't know the gospel now but still God has taken the gospel afresh to them we are taking the gospel to them we are taking the gospel to people who are they don't want God it's not that they haven't heard it's they haven't wanted and yet we take it again and again and God presses in on people again and again and he comes to us with grace and mercy and patience again and again and we need to respond in humility in thanks simply asking for forgiveness for our sins Jesus died on the cross and if we accept that then our sins have been punished there. We will not face punishment later on. We will receive blessing. God's gift of salvation is so wonderful. If we place our faith in him now, our sins are forgiven and we have assurance of eternal life. The angels expand on this good news by saying that we should give glory to God and worship him who made the heaven and the earth. The good news is also that the sinful world is crushed. Jesus has victory over all sin and unfaithfulness to God. This unfaithfulness of people is symbolized by sexual immorality in verse 8. Being unfaithful to a husband or wife is often described in the Bible as a, as a metaphor of how people have been unfaithful to God. Verse 8 isn't a call to celibacy. It's a call to purity. 
Another angel from verse 9 says that those who are content to do business with sin in the world, those who follow the beast and whose lives are marked by the sign of the beast, those who are content to live according to the ways of this world and reject the good news will receive the wrath of God eternally. But the good news is that this is this wrath of God is limited only to those who are following the beast, who are following the ways of the world, who are walking in sin. The wrath of God does not fall upon those who have trusted in Jesus. It's interesting to note here how the focus is on how people live their works, their good works follow them. It's not that our works save us, It's not that the fruit of the Spirit saves us, it can't. The fruit of the Spirit is the fruit of having the Spirit, which comes by having placed our faith in Christ. The works of faithfulness and perseverance are the evidence that we have placed our faith in Christ. They are the result of being made righteous by faith. They don't contribute to our righteousness. That comes as a gift from God. As James says, faith without works is dead. If we say we have faith in Christ, but our lives are not reflecting that holiness, that walking with the Lord, that following of him, well, we can't have the fruit of the Spirit without the Spirit. And we can look like it sometimes, but we can't have it. The fourth point, the last of these four points, is that There is redemption. There is salvation. The redeemed follow the Lamb. John's vision at the start of this chapter shows a very different eternity for God's people, for those who follow Jesus. This is all written in symbolic language, as is the case in Revelation. The name written on the foreheads of believers is symbolic of them belonging to God. When you write your name and your blazer at school, that blazer belongs to you. When you write your name on things in the ancient world, that thing belonged to you. When God writes his name on our foreheads, that's a metaphorical way of saying that we belong to him. We've been adopted into his family. When people have the <clears throat> the mark of the beast on their forehead, it's not that they have a mark physically on their forehead or their hand. It's simply a way of describing that they belong to the evil one, that they're following, whether they know it or not, they're following in the path of sin. Here again we have the 144,000 worshipping God. This is not a special elite group of people. This is a reflection of the 144,000 spoken a few chapters before, which John hears and then he sees a countless multitude that no one can number. This is symbolic of that countless multitude that no one can number. All believers throughout all time. The redeemed are described as those who are pure, blameless, like virgins before marriage who have not slept around. The idea is holiness, righteousness, which comes as a gift from God. 
That's not how we are naturally. This righteousness is from Christ. They've kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They follow the Lamb. Believers follow Jesus. Jesus calls us not simply to be forgiven and do what we like. He calls us to be forgiven and follow him. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Revelation chapter 14 can be either a comfort to us if we've trusted in Christ and we're following him or it can be a burden to us it can be difficult to hear if we are not the message of Revelation 14 is that the world is moving is ripening towards a day of harvest and God has everything in his control he has a plan he is working things all things out for the good of those who love him. The message of Revelation 14 is, like on the roads, you see big warning signs with a great big red mark around the edge of them, or a big triangle with an exclamation mark in the centre of it. Revelation 14 is a, is a warning sign to us to trust in Christ, to accept this eternal gospel. It's also an encouragement to us to place our continuing faith in Jesus, to walk with him. In verse 12 we read, this means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. The church that John wrote to was either suffering persecution or about to suffer persecution from the Roman authorities and from those who were doing the work of the Roman authorities in the local towns and cities. They were going through difficult times. They could not buy or sell in the marketplace unless they were going along with the prevailing religion and worshipping the, the image of the, of the emperor in the local temple. They were being ostracized. They were being even positively persecuted in places but our temporary suffering is building up for us a weight of glory that is not to be compared with what is still to come we persevere it's almost it's been compared in other places as a woman giving birth to a child the pain is difficult but it's worth it because you know what's ahead we persevere, we endure suffering because we know what is ahead, the glory that is still to come. Are we walking with the Lord? Are we producing the fruit of spirit? Are we enduring with good works? 
Are we producing that fruit of the Spirit, love to our enemies, joy despite difficulties, peace in the midst of difficult situations, patience with other people? Are we kind and gentle towards others, putting them first instead of us? Are we seeking what's good instead of focusing on the dark side? Are we faithful to the Lord in our daily devotions, in ministry and going to church and helping others? And do we have self-control instead of giving in to temptation of various kinds? These are the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Praise God that these are the fruit not of what we have to try and do ourselves. These are the fruit of the Spirit working in and through us. When we come to the Lord, he gives us forgiveness, but he also gives us a new heart. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness. And we can walk in the Spirit. We don't have the strength to be able to say, I will be able to persevere. But he gives us the ability to persevere. He gives us a new Spirit to enable us. And on that day when that harvest is harvested, God will look to see who has the Spirit Who has the works of the Spirit? These are my people. So in the light of the judgment to come, let's persevere. Let's lean on Christ. Let's depend upon him. Let's trust in him as our Savior, as our Good Shepherd. And let's walk in the Spirit. And let's trust in our Father God. Let's trust that he has got the whole world in his hands. He is working things through. The the earth is ripening. And one day, he will say enough. There will be a harvest. And we will enter, if we've trusted in him, into eternal blessing, where there will be no more suffering or sorrow any longer. It may be taking a long time for this harvest to come, We don't know how many more years it will be. But in our own lives, we know how many years we are likely to have. And if all goes well, we will live those years. But sometimes we don't live those years. Things happen. We need to be ready now. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know if we will even want or have the inclination tomorrow that we have today to trust in the Lord. Trust in him now, today. Well, we can. Praise God for this eternal gospel. Praise God that he gives us the, the warning as well as the encouragement of what is still to come. And praise God that he is working all things together and at the harvest we will see how he has worked all things for good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for the gospel of your grace towards us. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb shed on the cross so that anyone, so that everyone who places their faith in him is forgiven freely. Lord, help us to live in the light of that 
to walk with you, to follow you. Help us to trust in you for the forgiveness of sins and to know the peace and the joy that comes by trusting that you will bring all things to right on that day. In Jesus' name, Amen.